Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bearers, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our indigenous community from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Michael Tuples. He is a citizen of the Oglala Lakota out of Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Uh, he grew up in Rapid City, South Dakota, and is a printmaker. He's an artist. He's a musician. Um, he's a graduate of IAI out of Santa Fe, New Mexico. He's spent his career uh, creating amazing works of art and creating music and this conversation was a lot of fun because it it goes from talking about his art and his influences and we sort of move into the musical realm and there he gives a lot of great perspective um, for young people on, on how to sort of navigate their way through the art world so uh, we're just going to jump into this interview I'm really excited about this conversation uh, yeah so Michael Tubles, thank you so much for joining us at Five Plain Questions. It's, it's really an honor to have you here. And um, yeah, I'm just really happy that you're able to join us today. Thank you. I'm really honored and glad to be here with you, Joe. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Uh, would you be able to uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and where you're from? Sure. Um, my name's uh, Michael Tubles. Um, most part, I grew up in Miniluzaha, uh, Rapid City. Um, also from Redshirt Table Community, um, located Pine Ridge Reservation. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I grew up in Rapid, um, went through the public school systems here, and, and um, yeah. <laughs> cool. So uh, for your your biggest influences uh you you're part of a, a family that is uh the, the tubal's name is sort of uh intertwined with northern plains art um can you talk a little bit about uh maybe the family's influences and your own personal artistic influences on what you do yeah definitely i um absolutely right the tubal's family um seems like there's a lot of artists also extended as well. And I think that could even just be said throughout native country. Um, but uh, more specifically, yeah, Tubal's, um, my early influences were my family, you know, like how they modeled, modeled that for me um, as for them being a career artist, um, making ends meet, uh, creating with their hands, painting, sculpting, um, whatever the case may be, uh, beadwork, traditional art. So, yeah, early influences, I could say that in my own household, I grew up with my um, cousin, my sister, and um, my mother, and my aunt, uh, Lori Ann Tuples, who was a profound influence in my early childhood. Um, you know, like encouragement of drawing she would see my drawings as a, as a young, young boy and 
you encourage it. And I can't stress that enough how that how much that was like influential. You know, just that simple encouragement as a young child, like, oh yeah, that and also her modeling, you know, painting and drawing as well and seeing that in the household, you know, on the day to day basis, I think was like a profound effect on me seeing this. That I think that was like my very first influence was my aunt. Um, and beyond that, you know, like seeing my uncles as well, uh, modeling, you know, that relationship with art uh, that they have had and still have is uh, also a profound effect. So yeah, I mean, like growing up in an artist household is, on the day to day is like, it wasn't, to me, it was normal, you know, it wasn't until later that it wasn't like, you know, having friends at school and like learning, like, you know, that wasn't normal at all. Uh, can you talk about, um, before we go too far, about uh, your art style uh, and what type of work that you do do? Sure. Um, so I think, of course, early on, uh, um, you have your basic tools, you know, drawing was a huge <clears throat> impact. I, I, you know, like honing that skill at an early age. But later, when I went to well, I mean, in high school, I had like some idea of printmaking, um, more specifically like silkscreen work, um, because that was introduced to me in like the classroom. The, um, surprisingly enough, like the limited resources that that the school had, um, one of them was like a very rudimentary, basic like um, silkscreen. You know, like that method with the uh, stencil, where you just kind of cut out a stencil. Um, and, the, you know, like, I, I was just immediately attracted to that kind of work, um, printmaking specifically. So when when I delved into that and explored artists at that time, uh, mainly 60s, uh, post-war era kind of artists here, um, a lot of them were printmakers. And uh, later I found out that, you know, that, that kind of work was having a renaissance, so to speak, during that 60s movement, like, um, like more specifically, like, you know, like the pop artists like Rauschenberg or Warhol or Lichtenstein, you know, like we're exploring um, printmaking. And in retrospect, it's kind of interesting that they're exploring that because in a way they were also exploring the idea of like, America at that time, capitalism, like production and producing and adopting this printmaking method and using that as a tool. Uh, but I mean, that critique came much later in my life. But printmaking was, um, was and is like a preferred method, I suppose, with my means. <laughs> and how have you developed your career, both? Uh, uh, college, post-college, um, and different workshops that you've maybe taken over the years? Um, college was a profound effect on me again. Um, I went to Institute of American Indian Arts, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, I left when I was like 20. It was the first time I really left this area. It's kind of going back to influences, the question of influences, because like um, that was a different education from um, 
being that I was around like for the most part, indigenous instructors and professors, but also the student body. Um, and also kind of the first time really being around other indigenous peoples from countless nations. Um, you know, growing up here was mostly Ucheti, Shanku. Um, uh, but going down there, it was like, you know, it was, was eye opening for me. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, I, at IAIA was interesting because I kind of felt privileged in a way looking back now um, with the influences there. I mean, like, uh, for example, C. Max Stevens, um, she's, she was the dean of faculty back then, and I had access to her. She was also, also a lifelong teacher, you know, um, still teaching. I think I'm and I, I felt privileged because I had access to her. Um, I had a roommate who knew her in the 90s when she was teaching at IA. So that introduction to her right away and her kind of like hearing her talk about art um, and also like working beside her, like on her own work as like a assistant, you know, like my first year there, you know, was like a huge impact on me um, because she, you know, as a first year art student, maybe you, you, you know this, like you hone in on like more technical things, you know, like uh, hone in on your skill, um, which is nece absolutely necessary. But at the same time, Max was throwing ideas at me like, well, as an artist, it's not just skill, it's, it's about what you're saying or that responsibility. And artists, not only an artist, but an indigenous artist has um, and what you're projecting out into the world, um, concepts, ideas, and materials. So that was a huge impact on me early on, like right at the get-go, right at the gate at art school, um, and having that relationship through the four years there. Hmm. Hmm. Um, but yeah, that, I guess that's more of the influence question um, beyond like here in, Rap in Rapid City, Santa Fe was one of the major impact of me. And I still think about, you know, like a lot of the teachings that she made. You know, just kind of like challenge, I should say. Um, she challenged me a lot. There was like a lot of unlearning to do um, that I learned in, you know, public schools, as many people probably still are still doing <laughs> to some degree. Yeah. So how have you seeked opportunities and how have opportunities uh, presented themselves to you as you've moved through your career? I think those sort of things are natural for artists. If I mean, for artists, as we all know, we make that decision to, this is my life. This is what I want to do. Um, whether it happens early in life or later, like once you make that commitment as an artist, um, you're exploring a lot of things in your work. Uh, I mean, I should probably just speak for myself, in my work. Um, and once you start doing that, I think in your communities, you know, like the community will have asks and wants from, from visual artists from like myself. So like, for example, when I moved back home, 
um, I, I was making art full time. Um, and just by doing that, you know, you get asked to do different gigs or opportunities arise just naturally, you know, once you're tapped into the arts community. Yeah. I mean, that, that was basically what happened to, to me anyway. <laughs> Can't say that for anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, as we're, we're talking, um, the, the listener uh, can't see what what we can see, but um, I I can definitely see you have uh, it looks like a music studio behind yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about uh, that creative side of of yourself and your work? Sure. Um, for for many years, I, I boxed in like art, even like say like sonically, visually, like okay, like painting is one thing, and music is another thing. It wasn't until later in life where I realized that they're one and the same, so to speak, like a, a tool, a means um, to express oneself. Um, so very early on, my cousin, Doug, Douglas Tumbles and I, who we grew up together in the same household, um, you know, we were introduced to music at a very early age as well, you know, our interest in it, um, going beyond a fan of like music, you know, like. I think we, there was a need to like actually explore, like, hey, I want to do that. Um, and again, going back to encouragement of family was like a huge factor. Like my aunt and my mother who encouraged that that side too, and how you know, like buying buying us like a a used guitar, you know, like sharing a guitar together and like learning together and like building my own drum set as a kid, you know, (laughs) just because, you know, you just so, just wanted to do it, you know, like fast forward to now, um, recording, um, and kind of delving into that process. Because for the most part, um, the nineties, early two thousands, you know, like I kind of feel like the music industry, made recording inaccessible in some ways, like everything's just so expensive. Once you get into like actually like mastering your own tracks um, to like, like a microphone like this, mm-hmm. it's just like so expensive and accessible. So you're like, in a way it was like cutting out the middleman. Like, okay, we, we, we don't really want to go and spend like, maybe half a day in a recording studio and spend like exuberant amount of money. And like, we, we kind of want the freedom to explore our own way, our own time constraints, you know, like we could spend like a week on one song or maybe some oftentimes maybe like a month on one song, like just explicating it, taking it apart and exploring it. So, Recording um, has given us that freedom to explore a, a little more rather than just going into the studio and like knocking it out. I mean, there's something to be said about that too. There's a beauty of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I just don't think that's really our, our preferred practice. Yeah, yeah. You know, to your point about uh, accessibility, um, 
in the late nineties, um, I had really become interested in film and, uh, I had pursued later, I pursued, um, being a storyboard artist, but prior to that, um, yeah, I wanted to get, um, you know, cameras and recording equipment and whatever I could. But I remember I put a list together of, of wants, I guess, uh, maybe not necessarily needs. And I remember the the cameras and lenses itself topped about $30,000. And, you know, that was the, the 35 millimeter cameras yeah. back then. So we're talking about film stock and yeah. then editing and whatnot. And of course that just wasn't possible. You know, I, yeah. I grew up on the system of Wapiton, uh, res and mm. that, I mean, where do you go for that kind of stuff back yeah. then? Yeah, know? exactly. And now, um, you know, we talked, uh, just prior to the recording, um, you know, I, I now have basically a studio, uh, set up, um, in my own place right now. Oh yeah. And it's, it looks, it feels and it sounds like the real deal. And well, it is, it is, it is. Yeah. And it didn't cost, um, 10% of what it would have cost me back in the late, late nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Like even that move from film or tape to digital. Mm-hmm. It, accessible to everyone you know in mm-hmm. some ways that, that much can be said about like just the social political aspects you know like phones in our hands and we're able to record anything and everything that we propelled us you know to some degree mm-hmm. yeah no, i'm pretty excited about uh, the possibilities that exist nowadays you know um even the people that are listening to this you know like you said you know they're listening to this on their androids or their iphones or whatever mm-hmm those same devices that can record film and record audio, uh, better than anything, um, that was available, uh, even, uh, professionally back in the nineties, you know? Yeah. No, I mean like, yeah, just, yeah. Recording like programs like logic or even garage band. I think our first yeah. recording is our garage band, which is like a free program, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. It's the accessibility <laughs> back in the day is like, the old four track days, you know, like we, I remember I purchased a four track, <laughs> a young, like a teenager at a pawn shop. Yeah. And like just learning from that, you know, on tape and like <laughs> all that. It's like, actually, so actually Doug and I were wanting to buy a four track just to like explore that again, tape analog. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. When, when a person, well, like, like I, I bet you when you got that back in the day, you felt like that was it. You got yeah. it. Now, you know, yeah, I was like, yeah, it was like the whole world opened up. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, I had, early on, I had purchased, um, I'd saved up and purchased a, a Canon XL2, which was uh, first, um, not the first, but it was a digital heavy camcorder. And it was kind of the same thing. Like things just opened up for me at that point. And yeah. I was able to, to do things. And it felt good to do that, you know? Yeah, no, definitely like having those tools that you normally <laughs> have not access to, you know? It's like profound, you know, even now it's like, dang. (laughs) And I I think it's important, I think for someone listening to this, know that uh, whether it's, you know, you're you're making your first purchase of equipment, you know, the stuff you make right away isn't going to be the best, you know, but it's, it's like, well, it's, it's, it's what you said, um, having the studio space there where you work on it every day or you practice and you get better over time. So, you know, this podcast started, uh, 
with an iPad and uh, GarageBand uh, free software. Yeah. And a year later now, it's a studio setup, and um, it's who knows where it'll be in a couple of years. But you know, it's it's progress as long as someone stays consistent with the work and sticks to it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. No, I agree. I mean, like even the studio here, like it's our wish to once we get our outboard gear because we're literally like purchasing our a lot of our equipment um, through a grant we got um, recently. So like, even that, like we we have plans to like, you know, like it, it's even like with a lot of the printmaking equipment that I've acquired through years, um, it's the same thing with uh, the recording gear that we've been like, you know, like slowly attaining, um, you know, like our wish to like open it up to indigenous people here you know like lakota uh, musicians and artists you know like hey we have this gear that's totally inaccessible um that you won't really be able to like have access to and you know like let's 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 record or let's make art you know um so that's the also the idea around around our gear equipment access to normal people that don't have access so like you know, reaching out to s- some Lakota folks that you know, like, are like country musicians or hip hop musicians, or whatever the case is. You know, like, hey, we have this gear, let's do this. And being that role of producer has been like prominent in my later or my um, adult years, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. That's great. Uh, musically, um, who? Who were your influences over the years? Musically, um, I think it was, it was family wasn't modeled um, as much as visual arts, um, so it really came from like just listening to music and just you know like our family are just like music music heads, you know, like they collecting of albums and. So that was modeled. So like, so that that influences, like you know, early on, you know, like British invasion. I think for us was like huge impact. And then later we started to explore like the subcultures here, like punk rock music, punk rock shows they would have here. Like seeing those live bands come through like was a huge impact on me. You know, like uh, not so much the scene I would say in retrospect, but more like seeing these bands coming from like actually like a lot of DC bands came through like for, out of discord records traveled through rapid on their way to like wherever they're going like out West back and forth. So they, this was like one stop they made um, on the way to Denver and Minneapolis and having that access here was like huge, you know, like for me, you know, like it's like watching them play and, their instrument and crafting their song songwriting skills so you know it's like i want to do that like how to like i could do that too like uh, it's totally possible so yeah musically i think that was that's kind of the history around that locally here <laughs> well the, the final question is uh what would you want to say to the the 18 or the 22 year old that's listening to us right now. Um, 
Let's see. I, I've been, I know you've been sending me the questions. I've been thinking about that a lot today, yesterday. Uh, I, <clears throat> as a visual artist, it's, I know that I've been kind of going through my own um, critiques, self-critiques lately in the past year, <clears throat> especially what's been happening, protests um, and beyond, you know, like that responsibility that, that I put on myself as an artist, visual artist and what, what can be done and what can be said. So lately it's kind of what I, what I would say to young artists pursuing visual arts is absolutely yes, go, go to an art school if you, if you're able, if not like get locked into your arts community. Um, if that, if that's not, I mean, but yeah, definitely higher education because you're, you're around peers that are like learning beside you, um, along with you. That, that was like a huge influence on myself, you know, having, you know, other artists feed off each other, feedback, um, able to be critical. And there's a stigma, I think, that's that's been taught in our schools where, like, critique is bad. Critique is bad. And there's this pushback where, like, no, absolutely not, like, constructive criticism. Like, to be self-critical as well is, like, and that's not a negative thing. So that's one thing I want to, like, that I, when I'm doing workshops with the youth, like one thing I, I stress is that criticism isn't bad. Again, like being able to be self-critical um, as an artist is absolutely necessary. Being that like, for example, like re-examining like <clears throat> my arts education, um, like the need to like produce for example, for myself, like I've been kind of examining that a lot lately. Like, I, th I think that in our society, you know, like, it number one is like, how do I sell my labor, right? Like, how do I make money? And how do I exist? Um, and with that comes with like the need to always produce, 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 and, and really like, I'll tell one story if we have time, like an example. Um, so I think it was like back in our school, I had an instructor who I, I tapped into something um, with sculpture. Um, and it, it was exciting to me at the time. And I, I was exploring it a lot um, through the materials that I was using. And it was exciting to me and, and the instructor had told me like, well, wow, you could really do this your whole career. Like, this is something that, that you can do. And I felt really immediately like, like saddened by that because it was like, I don't want to do this one thing for the rest of my life. Mm. This one like material object, you know, like, and that, that was, that was like 
I didn't have the language back then to really understand it. But now looking back, you know, like I've experienced that a lot where you tap into something that's like that sells and just do it for the rest of your life is like kind of like that. And I think it happens a lot in art and visual art world where, you know, I mean, like you're locked into something where it's selling, it's making you living. And that's absolutely the, the first priority, right? You want food on the table, provide. Um, but at the same time, it's like, sometimes I don't feel like I'm able to explore um, certain subjects or like explore new materials because of that very like basic idea in our society to always produce, produce, um, and not really worry about content, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you could do both and there's artists that do both absolutely but I think that's something to be examined and that's what I kind of what I've been examining a lot lately in the past year I suppose yeah and I think that applies <clears throat> across the arts you know musically you know um, mm-hmm. you know you think about say even uh, the Beatles how they changed from a straight band at the beginning to whatever it was at the end you know um comedians too uh it's i listen to a lot of comedy and it's always great listening to new sets of comedians when they come out with fresh things but it's super disappointing when you hear a comedian telling the same jokes from 15 years ago yeah and it's it's just it's really it's it's really hard to listen to their whole set then you know because you know it's coming and you've, you've heard it before yeah yeah no, no, I mean, that's, yeah, that's exactly, I mean, like the Beatles were able because they, they, because they, they at some point in their career, they're rich, you know, it's like they had enough means to explore and mm-hmm. that, that sends an example like, oh, you have to be rich or wealthy to be able to explore <laughs> ideas and concepts, you know, and that's not true. Not at or all. It shouldn't be true. No, they were, they were all blue, co- blue I can't say the word, blue collar kids, you know, yeah. They were they were all poor kids growing up, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You know. I mean, like, and and is that something to attain for young folks? I, I don't I don't want to say like, hey, you have to be um, rich and wealthy or comfortable to be able to explore your own like identity, like mm-hmm. that. You know, like I definitely want to teach that to young kids. You know, but there's like also like this contradiction of like, okay, well, how do I do that without? means and money you know like always lingering so like so yeah i don't have concrete answers or anything but it's definitely something to to think about (laughs) oh absolutely and i think it's for everyone to figure it out for themselves you know Mm -hmm. how it works for them yeah 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 michael this was great thank you so much Um, yeah where where can uh people find your your work your music um yeah, how can they connect with you? Um, yeah, I, our group, uh, we're called The Wake Singers, um, and we're on Instagram. You can just type that in. We're currently working on our album right now. Um, it's been a year since we've been working on it, actually, maybe to the date. Um, it's been a wild year, as we all know. <laughs> so it's um, visual arts. I'm also on Instagram. I'm M two bowls. I don't. I used to have a website, but um, I think that's kind of my main kind of place where I drop stuff. 
we'll uh, provide links in the, the show notes so people can uh, follow that there. Cool. Well, thanks, Joe. I appreciate reaching out to me. And yeah, I'm, I really want to dig into the archive of uh, Plains uh, podcast. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, yeah, thank you. And yeah, your name kept coming up with people and I was like, okay, I'm going <laughs> to gotta make this happen. So this was great. Um, <laughs> all right, Mike, Michael, thank you so much. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Thank you. And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Michael again for uh, his time and sharing his perspective with us. Um, this this was a really fun interview. Um, it was really great being able to transition from uh, the art conversation to the music conversation. And his, his, his points uh, were really well stated. Um, you know, I think it's very important for young artists to to stick with it um whatever they're working on start you know if if your art supplies are um, if you feel your art supplies aren't up to par don't worry about it use them up you know if if all you have is uh, a cell phone or uh, something um store-bought to record and, and either audio or video uh, to record yourself awesome use those things you know use what you have to create because work eventually presents opportunity you create something you create a product show it to somebody show it you know use social media to promote yourself and then do it again and then do it again and part of that is also um is to critique yourself don't be hard on yourself but be honest with yourself don't be don't be cruel to yourself but be good to yourself and encourage yourself. And if you create something, do it again. Make it better. Make it, just just do something better and challenge yourself to do better every time. You're not competing with anyone but yourself. You're competing with the last thing that you created. Sometimes it won't be as great as the last thing, but generally you do get better. And eventually things will fall into place and things will happen. It may not happen quickly. It may take time. Uh, you know, I started, like I said in this interview, uh, 20 plus years ago, trying to create uh, a film production uh, with no experience and no knowledge. But I've worked at it and it didn't go the path that I wanted to back then, but I'm so happy with what's going on right now. So, um, yeah, so this was very inspiring conversation with Michael and I'm so grateful that we had that. So I just, I just want to thank him for such a fantastic conversation. Uh, more importantly, I want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to Bethel's very important story and perspective from our community. So please join us next week as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Canada, that's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists on Facebook or at the plainsart.org website. There you can see our programming, our past videos, and these podcasts. And if you have a suggestion for someone for me to talk to, message me on Facebook. I'd really like to hear from you. All right, that does it. You have a great week, and we'll see you next time.